Hello everyone and welcome to the Eco Business podcast. I'm Vedehi Shah, assistant editor at Eco Business, and I'm excited to present our latest episode in this series of discussions about the world of sustainable business in Asia Pacific. This episode is part of the Let's Write the Future series, supported by Swiss power and automation giant ABB. It explores the rise of technologies like robotics, 3D printing, and the Internet of Things, and how they can shape a better world. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the nuts and bolts of delivering the fourth industrial revolution. From more streamlined and efficient business practices to data-driven insights into how we live and organize ourselves, the vision of the fourth industrial revolution's impact on our world is well established. But what are the hardware, software, and financing challenges we need to navigate before this vision becomes a reality? Joining us today to discuss these big questions is Alpesh Patel, the director of the McKinsey Innovation Campus in Singapore. Alpesh's work focuses on the development of cutting-edge knowledge in various topics related to Industry 4.0, such as design, advanced analytics, and digital technology. He's also an expert in operations and manufacturing, with deep experience in automotive, aerospace, and a particularly fast-paced industry, Formula One. As senior aerodynamicist at Ferrari for seven years, Alpesh has used Industry 4.0 technologies such as 3D printing and machine learning to develop championship-winning cars for the likes of Michael Schumacher, Felipe Massa, and Fernando Alonso. We're very excited to have him here today to discuss how these new and exciting technologies can be deployed to create a more sustainable, livable, and equitable world. Thank you for joining us, Alpesh. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. To kick things off, I'd like to get your thoughts on the potential of Industry 4.0 for good. You and many other experts have observed how it will revolutionize industries such as automotives, manufacturing and energy. But how do you see these individual transformations adding up to a world which is more sustainable, livable and equitable? Well, Industry 4.0 will effectively transform industries quite drastically and uh, will lead to a different world, hopefully more sustainable and livable. How does that work? Uh, There are four broad technologies uh, that characterize Industry 4.0 and that can be applied to hundreds of use cases in each industry. Uh, The four technologies are connectivity and digitization, advanced analytics, human-machine interaction, and 3D printing. Now, if we take connectivity and digitization, this will improve significantly the life of operators, the life of people working in factories. I was a couple of weeks ago in in an advanced uh, manufacturing environment in Malaysia, and operators still have to walk the whole plant to go to a central station to report issues with the equipment that they are operating. Now, what they could do is report those issues straight away from an app uh, that is on their smartphone, and they can do- download their job cards and instructions directly on that smartphone, which means that they can eliminate a lot of wastage and are able to perform their tasks more efficiently. If we think about advanced analytics, well, I used it a couple of years ago to develop wings in a Formula One car, but now it can be used to solve tons of problems, such as for companies, 
predicting the demand and therefore avoid wastage. Now, one of the biggest examples is a sushi restaurant that implemented one of those intelligent algorithms using weather patterns as well as political environment uh, and uh, the, uh, the calendar years in addition to their customers' data to predict when they need to order sushi. Very, very important to have it fresh uh, if, uh, if you want customers to come back. One of the other uh, applications that would touch the life of more and more people would be in the agriculture, where advanced analytics can help increasing the yield of crops and therefore help farmers uh, realizing better harvesting. If we go to human-robot collaboration, well, this will allow to free up people from tedious tasks that up to now could not be automated. Is it going to replace their jobs entirely? No, they will work alongside those robots because they are now, the robots are now able to detect the movement of people and therefore they can work safely together with them. Uh, these robots can also be reprogrammed. So for the operator, the job is now a mentoring job to robots and he can use his, his imagination more. Those robots will also be more pervasive in our everyday life and can be used for many servicing activities. And then finally, if we come to 3D printing, it will definitely change the way supply chains are organized. Uh, shipping goods will still happen, but might be now more limited as companies are able to order 3D printed goods directly close to where their consumers are. And with the elimination of waste, the uh, making life easier for agricultures, making life easier for operators, we have effectively the potential for a better life. However, while many independent and company jobs can be created, there will be a displacement of jobs which needs to be addressed in the short term because there will be a skill mismatch. Okay, uh, that's a fascinating overview of um, how Industry 4.0 can make life better. And when you were talking about 3D printing, it also occurred to me that potentially, if we're not shipping so much um, overseas, that could reduce the emissions footprint from shipping as well. Is that something you see happening? That, that's the potential. If we look at 3D printing, the, uh, in, the total impact on supply chains as a whole is still to be established. It can be as small as a couple of percent and as high as 25%. What that means is, yes, it will probably prevent the increase of emissions uh, coming from uh, transportation. But whether it's going to curb it entirely, you probably need other uh, elements to come into play. Mm. Okay, great. And um, so, so this is a really inspiring vision of what the world will look like. But in reality, um, how will our lives be in this Industry 4.0 world? What sort of work will we be doing? What will be will we be studying in school to get those jobs? And how will society be organized in general? And I'm particularly interested to explore this question in the context of Asia, which has such unique demographic, economic and energy challenges compared to the rest of the world. Sure. If we, if we take first the jobs, I think the nature of jobs will drastically change. Taking first companies that are producing goods today, with the productivity increase, the number of classic jobs or jobs that exist today will probably decrease. The next level of automation will have a large impact, not only in the manufacturing activity itself, but also in support function and services, such as finance, HR, or procurement, where 
what we call robotics process automation can really automate up sometimes to 90% of the time that people are spending on uh, on, on tasks. I take the example of, uh, of procurement. There is a process whereby purchase requests get converted into purchase order to your supplier. That process can be automated up to 90%. So obviously there's going to be a huge shift. Inevitably, many jobs will become obsolete. That's the short term. However, it comes together with a lot of opportunities being created. In the first place, the industry 4.0 solutions themselves need to be created. Robots, analytics software, augmented reality applications, 3D printers. So there will be, and there's already a surge of employment in those sectors to meet the increasing demand. We already see it in the robotics sector, which needs to meet China's impressive growth. China has over 300,000 uh, robots and grows at a rate of 30% per, per annum as it tries to automate factories. It actually creates a lot of jobs. In, in, in the companies that adopt Industry 4.0, then while you see classic jobs probably decreasing, you will have a number of new jobs that will come in as those companies need to learn how to use the new technology and leverage it to tailor solutions to improve their productivity. So you will have those new roles like analytics people, automation people that will come into the, into the companies. However, you will still need people who have an understanding of the existing business or the existing operations, as well as an understanding of analytics. So these people will be the translator. They will be the bridge between the new skills and the old skills. And finally, for those that have learned their trade for years, they will still remain as upskilled uh, people. And that upskilling phase is also something very important. So that's what's happening, I would say, in the, in the companies today. Then what we also see is that Industry 4.0 will represent a lot of new business opportunities. So it's not only about increasing productivity or increasing performance of companies, but it's creating new business model. And what that will create is a lot of self-employment or a lot of startup opportunities. And we see it already today in the advanced analytics world uh, as startups are creating solutions that are very specific in solving industry problems. Many former employees of large companies are creating their startups together with young analytic geeks and software developers. They have the business and operation background to understand the customer, and they will then bring the best specific solution to the, uh, to the market. A lot of jobs will shift to, uh, to that. If we think about Asia, for Asia, it's a big opportunity because of the young demographics in many of the countries, as well as so far, a lower rate of industrialization than some countries in Europe and in, and in the US. What that gives is two elements. The younger demographics is probably going to be quicker at adopting and internalizing what technology can bring, coming up with new ideas. In addition, the fact that you have less legacy uh, type of installations allows to create directly the right greenfield environment, so completely new plants with all the new technologies uh, to, in order to harness Industry 4.0 and be directly at the cutting edge of productivity. Another element with Asia, though, are the unique logistics challenges that are uh, posed in certain countries. 
see Indonesia or the Philippines, which have archipelago economies, and therefore where the change is more difficult to bring to remote places. It creates unique use cases for Industry 4.0, though, which could then be exported elsewhere because developed in a unique environment like Asia. Is there an example of how um, the kind of island archipelago nature of many Asian countries um, warrants innovative Industry 4.0 solutions? Yes, you would definitely see them in the logistics sector. Uh, the, some examples could include uh, a more pervasive use of 3D printing in remote locations to produce spare parts or to produce actually goods for the, for the consumer. You will also see uh, a lot of new applications uh, on in, in the shipping industry or in generally the forwarding industry to, pro- to put logistics to the next level. Mm. Okay, that's really interesting. You've given a really good overview of how the nature of work and business will change. And how do you think this will filter down to um, the level of education and skills? And what will we be studying in school? Um, Will it shift the balance between the humanities and the sciences? And and how will the educational landscape change, do you think, to prepare for Industry 4.0? Yes, I think the governments will have to adapt the curriculum to the new skills required in the industry. Whether it is going to increase the balance towards mathematics versus humanities is an open point. But for sure, more practical trainings towards the fields of robotics, the fields of programming, uh, analytics, uh, will be required in order to supply in the right quantity the uh, the jobs of the future, the the the, 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 the talent for the jobs of the future. Uh, another element is the sooner students get to manipulate new technologies, see augmented reality, 3D printing, the more they will come with disruptive ideas, which can't really be programmed by by governments, but are coming from the individual initiative. So the sooner we expose uh, those students to those technologies, even in learning the classic topics, the sooner we will get those new ideas coming to the fore. Mm, That points to a very exciting um, journey in education as well as business. So... um, When you look at Asia today, what is your reading of where the region currently is in terms of how prepared or capable the public and private sector are to achieve this transformation? Every year we run a a global survey to assess the level of preparedness of companies. And and this is run across many countries, obviously like the United States and Germany, but then also in Asia. Uh, We've done this survey in Japan, in China, and this year, for the first time in ASEAN, we will actually publish a white paper in the next few weeks on the topic. Now, awareness in ASEAN grew in leaps over the years. Two years ago, when we held a session on Industry 4.0 in Indonesia, only a couple of companies showed up. Last year, there were above 30. And in our survey, over 80% of the companies surveyed were aware of Industry 4.0, and above 60% of them are optimistic about its potential to increase their operational performance or to find new ways to do business. And 
the optimism is actually particularly high at what I would call the new converts, uh, like Indonesia, the Philippines, and Vietnam. Um, I was a couple of weeks ago at a manufacturing conference in the Philippines organized by the DTI. They've put together technology roadmaps and companies are already trying to use the disruption from industry 4.0 to reshape their role in global supply chains. I have examples in automotive when providers of equipment to the large OEMs now see the opportunity to become a much higher tier supplier because they have access to a young, very savvy population and very and, and, and a very big consumer market. Now, while a bit less than a half of the companies have a strategy, only 13% of the companies we surveyed in ASEAN have actually started the implementation. The main challenge that we see is how they can prioritize and ensure a good payback for the investment that they do. Typically, they would need a return within one to two years. So getting the business case right is very complicated. One of the other challenges that we hear is the lack of talent, difficulty to hire the right people, mentioning again advanced analytics uh, in, in particular. And then there are more internal issues. Those transformation need coordination. There's currently always a very difficult way to coordinate across business units. And then data is difficult to integrate. And finally, there are cybersecurity concerns. However, we see this changing over time. The pace at which some leading companies in sectors such as oil and gas, mining, automotive, chemicals are now taking the challenge indicates that we will see change sooner rather than later. Okay. Um, that, that kind of leads to the second part of the question where, you know, you, you've described such a rapid and optimistic adoption of Industry 4.0 technology in the region, and and you get this real sense that it's kind of its time has come. So, how do you think Asia's um, embrace of this will evolve over the next five, ten, and twenty years? Yes, the embrace of Industry 4.0 will come progressively. We will see a first wave of adoption in the next couple of years, as leading companies embark on the transformation. But we are not able to say that a company has adopted or not Industry 4.0 because Industry 4.0 itself is a concept that is evolving. Technology is not stopping and the use cases uh, or the uses of technology are becoming more sophisticated year after year. So what I think we will see is an increasing pace and an increasing number of companies that will have, have at least have adopted a couple of those use cases. Think about predictive maintenance for their most important equipment, or think about digital performance management, whereby they can read through sensors information from the various production cells as well as from equipment in order to, to understand what is the current productivity that they have. We will see those use cases coming quickly. It will then take a little bit more time to go to the next level, uh, which could include automation, could include uh, a bigger use of 3D printing or uh, additional technologies. 
Mm, that makes sense. And I mean, given that you and McKinsey's digital innovation campus are based in Singapore, what are your thoughts about where Singapore sits in Asia's kind of changing relationship with Industry 4.0? Well, Singapore in ASEAN has been one of the first countries to really tackle Industry 4.0 uh, in, a, in a comprehensive way. Uh, we are collaborating as in Singapore with the Advanced Remanufacturing and Technology Center, which is a flagship research institute from ASTAR that has clearly embraced uh, the adoption of Industry 4.0 as one of its key objectives. And the Singapore government, through the creation of model factories, is really pushing towards uh, that, that direction. Uh, we think also, uh, we see also that companies in Singapore are starting to look into adopting Industry 4.0 technologies, mostly the big companies for now. And the objective will be to start moving the small and medium companies uh, as well. Okay, great. So, so earlier you, you talked about the risks and challenges that companies in the region face when it comes to getting on board the Industry 4.0 trend. So can you um, elaborate a little bit on how businesses, regulators, and individuals faced risks and what are the specific you know, ways that things can go wrong if they're not adequately prepared? Sure. I would mention a couple of broad risks that come together with uh, these changing times. I think if you get into businesses in general, the biggest risk is to be disrupted quicker then you have the time to adapt and to adopt Industry 4.0. Uh, some businesses might disappear. Some industries might change completely. I've mentioned earlier uh, the potential for processes like robotic uh, process automation to really automate uh, some, some tasks in support functions. This will very much change some companies. Those who adopt the first and have created uh, value proposition out of that are more likely to survive. Therefore, you need to go quick enough in order not to be disrupted by your environment. If I put the regulator, the pace of change is also something to watch for. Uh, taking the steps in order to provide the right skills, uh, the right labor skills on the market is very important, but it takes time. And Displaced job and social challenges that come from the pace of change will need to be looked after. If I take the technology, one of the key elements of risks that are mentioned, and I mentioned it earlier, is cybersecurity. Uh, this could be from the classic hacking, access to technology uh, or confidential information that, uh, for instance, some of the oil and gas uh, companies have been facing in the, in the past few years. Uh, major oil and gas companies have uh, lost some confidential information from to, to suppliers. Uh, they can be a counterfeit of products as well to manipulation of input files. So cybersecurity is really one of uh, the big elements of risk. How do you mitigate it? It comes obviously with first looking at how to avoid entry points for uh, malwares and, and, and hackers and technology companies are obviously um, in beefing up their offering in that respect. It also comes from a different culture in the organization 
uh, of, uh, the, of the companies where good practices at the individual level need to be put in place in order to prevent chances to be exposed to cyber uh, attacks. In general, the mitigation of those of the risks that I have mentioned will come by embracing the change, not resisting it, uh, and putting the people and the processes at the center of the equation. So the technology will be important. We need to be able to run with the change, but it's very important to always relate it to how we change the people, how we changes the organization, how we changes the processes, so that we really create the resilience of companies, resilience of the technology of the to avoid cyber attacks, and the resilience in terms of uh, of a country because we are able to move to the uh, the, the new jobs. Okay, great. And and um, that's a really good launch pad for the next question I had where you've given a really thorough analysis of the cybersecurity risks and how exactly organizations can go about mitigating them. But if we think more broadly about if I'm a policymaker or a business leader and I want to prepare in a way that harnesses all the benefits of the fourth industrial revolution while mitigating against the risks. What are some specific strategies I can employ to do that? And where do you think the biggest challenges or pain points of this process are? Sure. Let me respond to this question in two ways. The first one, looking at companies. Uh, Companies will need to undertake a transformation. And actually, it's not one transformation, but a triple transformation in order to succeed. Uh, Why triple? Because it starts first with changing business and operations. And what that means is identifying the Industry 4.0 technology and use cases that can have the biggest impact to their operations, and which would be the quickest and most economic way to implement those initiatives. Would it be applying advanced analytics and artificial intelligence to understand whether a very costly piece of equipment, like pump valves, are breaking? Would it be optimizing how many raw materials you need in, for instance, a refinery to increase the yield and reduce your energy consumption? Uh, And how do you make it happen? How do you implement those use cases. Do you start developing the whole technology from scratch? Would you buy from a large player with a contract that might lock you in for a couple of years? Would you try and go to the Silicon Valley to find the right startups? Is it a combination of all the above? So this is basically the business uh, transformation. So finding out the relevant use case to prioritize and understand how to implement it quickly is very important. The second transformation that companies would need to do is more on the technology and IT side of the business. Uh, Gone are the days of three-year programs to upgrade my IT system, my ERP, enterprise resource planning, and so on and so forth. The name of the game now is speed. And what will be important to show is quickly implementing front-end applications for the board, for the uh, executive team, for the frontline, for the supervisors, for the managers. 
And these applications need to present sometimes the same information in multiple different forms, being it a dashboard, being an advanced tables with a lot of data for the maintenance engineer, and on different support formats. It can be your phone, it can be a, a laptop, it can be a tablet, it can be a HoloLens, those augmented reality glasses, and so on and so forth. So we need to go quick in implementing those applications for the relevant people on the right format. But at the same time, those applications need to look at data and legacy applications uh, and pump the information that they need from there. This is what we call a two-speed approach. Go quick for the front and slowly evolve your backbone, both your data infrastructure that needs to be integrated as well as your legacy applications to adapt to the, to the change. And then the final transformation also very important, is the organization. Agile is the new world here. Many organizations still operate with a silo approach between the various departments and a waterfall approach. By waterfall, it means long planning, 18 months timeline for each initiative. The new ways of working are completely different. They involve multidisciplinary teams. If I take the example of Implement and implementing new maintenance applications. You would have maintenance engineers, you would have programmers, you would have your industry 4.0 specialists that know a little bit about all the technologies. You would have the operator, the supervisor. All of these people need to be in the same room and work together to find the best possible way to use the technology. And it needs to be happening not over 18 months, but in quick iterative sprints to reach what we call minimum viable products that can be directly uh, deployed on the line and show an improvement. There's also this concept of DevOps where new releases for, this, for these tools and, and, and products get automatically pre-tested so, so as to reduce the time by which they are brought to the users. This concept of DevOps actually comes from Formula One, where the cycle time for any upgrade on the car is four to six weeks and makes a difference between winning and losing. Now it will also come to the industry where solutions, industry 4.0 solutions, need to come in an iterative way. So that's for the companies. If I talk about the governments, and we touched about it a little bit earlier, uh, governments and regulators can help obviously by training the employees and redesigning the curriculums. As we mentioned earlier, data scientists, agile scrum master, DevOps engineers, all, all of these new skills need to be provided. What also can be provided is an upskilling of the existing workforce to be able to use the new tools, be savvy with the new technologies, as well as build these translators. These people that have enough of an understanding of the new technology as well as a deep understanding of the business and can bridge the gap between the two. Governments can also ensure that the right mix of companies and industries are organized in collaborative ecosystems. This typically would involve an anchor user or couple of anchor user industries from adjacent industries. In the case of ASTAR and ARTC, you have aerospace, machinery and, FM and FMCG, fast-moving goods, as anchor industries. And then you have the supply chain for those industries that is brought together, such as technology firms that provide Internet of Things solutions, robotic solutions, etc. You'd have specialist providers, 
And obviously, we need to have startups in this ecosystem because they bring the inorganic innovation. This agile way of working is coming from them. They are used to fail fast, learn fast, fail fast, and so on and so forth. And the perfect ecosystem would have those players together with academia and research institutes. Mm. Well, that's a really um, useful list of strategies and suggestions for everyone across the range of the ecosystem. So, so that was really great. Thank you for that. And now let's talk finance for a second. You briefly touched earlier on the many new opportunities that Industry 4.0 presents. Um, can you give us a sense of how much the value of this opportunity is? And conversely, all the, the solutions and investments you suggested, what's, what amount of investments do countries in Asia need to be thinking about how to implement this and where will the financing for this come from? Sure. I think if you look first at the value from Industry 4.0, uh, there are several studies mentioning the value of some of the foundational technologies. If we take the connectivity and Internet of Things, for instance, the total value, the economic value that can be created could be as high as $11 trillion uh, per year in 2025, and, and at least a third of it would come from uh, a uh, B2B uh, environment like uh, like factories. So the value that is uh, the, the potential that can be achieved from those technologies is extremely high. Uh, similarly, if we talk about robotics, the market is growing at above 10% per annum globally, uh, and the uh, install base is already above 1.5 million uh, robots. So the, the, the potential is definitely there. When we think about the investment, mentioned earlier that it's important for companies to think about the business case. Uh, it is possible to adopt Industry 4.0 in a brownfield type of environment. You don't need to do all the investments at the same time. You need to find what is the right investment for you and which of those investments would bring you a return as quickly as possible. We don't see companies that's uh, around the, uh, the the region to have the patience to wait five years uh, to uh, uh, get the return on investment. We need to look at return on investment within one, two years, maximum two and a half years to effectively get the, the ball rolling. The benefits that are covered by those first use cases can then be used to finance the next wave of innovation. And that's why to the question earlier about how quickly we see Industry 4.0 coming, it is going to come in waves as each, as a virtuous cycle, each of the technology adoptions will generate savings, productivity improvements that can be reinvested in order to generate the, uh, the next wave. What governments can do to help this adoption and uh, and, and, and invest in that adoption, uh, I think is, again, very well illustrated in Singapore. Number one, you can create model factories like the one ARTC is working on with us to show to companies what it means to go to Industry 4.0 and help them articulate how they need to change in order to get there. Second, you can help companies uh, to adopt those technologies also by providing training to the workforce as well as uh, potential help in uh, sourcing the new technologies uh, the new, and new equipment when it is too expensive. And then finally, 
help to the startups is also pretty important. Um, I believe SG Innovate is pretty active in, uh, in, in that field. And as I mentioned earlier, so the startup, the innovation coming from the startup world is really what will define the pace overall of how a country uh, gets savvy in those technologies. Um, oh, okay, so that was great. Thank you for that. And now we've come to the final question, which is a bit more fun. Um, so as you know, the theme of our series is Let's Write the Future. And one industry that has done this for decades is the creative arts. So I'd like to ask you what fictional depiction of the future in a book, TV show or movie resonates with you the most and why? And, you know, it can be the kind of future you want to see that you dread becoming a reality or which you think is the most accurate depiction of what will come to pass. Sure. I, th I think the first uh, element I would mention is that uh, I think reality is already going beyond the fiction at many places. Uh, if you look at what's happening in a place like Spartanburg, uh, BMW is already operating collaborative robots all over the place together with, uh, with people. Uh, in, uh, in Australia, Rio Tinto has an entire fleet of gigantic autonomous excavation trucks that operate without drivers. Um, the, uh, if, if you look at the Netherlands, chaotic warehousing are being experimented whereby drones and autonomous vehicles operate together in a coordinated way to place, retrieve, and pick the packs that get then delivered to, uh, to houses. Uh, and, and, and if you take 3D printing, um, well, you see that uh, the port of Rotterdam is already experimenting uh, to use 3D printing for ships to replace the propellers of ships when they come back to the port. So a lot of things are already happening. What people will soon see is an end-to-end -end implementation of all of these uh, examples along, along the value chain across industries. So whether this will be a brave new world or uh, look more like 1984, just depends on how uh, people end up using the technology. Okay, that's very interesting. So that's the end of the questions I had for you, Alpesh. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. This podcast was hosted by EcoBusiness. EcoBusiness is the leading media organization on responsible business, clean tech, and sustainable development serving the Asia-Pacific community. This episode is part of the Let's Write the Future podcast series supported by ABB. Join the conversation by visiting us at eco-business.com. Subscribe to our newsletter, which brings you interesting news and events from around the region, or sign up to join the EB Circle, our membership program which supports our purposeful journalism. Thank you for listening and watch out for our next podcast.